Hi, I'm Mandy. Thanks so much for joining us today on the podcast for Harrisonburg Nazarene Church. Please subscribe for updates and new episodes to the podcast. Also, you can now search for our podcast on Spotify. Join us each Sunday at 1030 a.m. on Facebook Live. Be sure to like or follow our page while you're there. Jesus took the twelve aside and told them, We're going up to Jerusalem and everything that is written by the prophets about the Son of Man will be fulfilled. He will be delivered over to the Gentiles. They will mock him, insult him, and spit on him. They will flog him and kill him. And on the third day, he will rise again. Luke 18, 31 through 33. And this passage this morning, that passage particularly, comes just before the story that we're going to be in today. And this is where we should find ourselves in our posture um, now in our Christian faith. We are three weeks out from Easter And so in our lives, we are approaching Jerusalem in remembrance of what Jesus has done. We are on a journey towards Jerusalem. And as Jesus and his disciples in this passage here are making their way to Jerusalem so that this might happen, so that Jesus can be crucified, he is deliberate, he's very intentional in his engagements, in his conversations, and this one that we look at today is no different. But first, I want to take a quick look at where we've been the last three weeks and how that brings us into our story today. Um, I'm Pastor Billy Logan. I'm one of the pastors here on staff, uh, privileged to share the word with you this morning while Pastor Adrian finishes up some vacation with his family. So I'm grateful for the opportunity to share with you this morning. Um, If you've been with us or if you're just joining us this morning, we've been in a series uh, titled Uncomfortable Jesus. And um, it's not this idea that somehow Jesus was uncomfortable in some way, but it's that if we're not intentional um, in our lives, if we're not intentional um, by the way we live our lives, that the life of Jesus, the example of Jesus, can oftentimes make us feel very uncomfortable. And so in week one, Pastor Adrian brought to our attention this reality that living a kingdom-minded life puts us in a culture war, that those around us will oftentimes not not agree with us. They will not have the same values as us or believe and live like we do. And Jesus, to his listeners, uses the example of Jews and Samaritans when addressing this idea of loving the outsider, of being uncomfortable in engaging those we consider other. And the truth is, we are in a culture war, but we're not to engage in this war with violence of action or attitude, but with a heart of holy love for God and neighbor. And the call to us then, as Pastor Adrian began the series a few weeks ago, is we must not give in to sin, but we cannot give up on love. And then in week two, Pastor Adrian had this to say about tax collectors and sinners. And so today, we're, we're going to continue in this journey. This journey really began for me last fall, and it began with two verses of Scripture in Luke chapter 15. Uh, We'll turn in in just a minute to our main text for today, but on the screen behind me, Luke chapter 15, verses 1 and 2, it's the beginning to a very famous passage of Scripture where Jesus talks about a a lost coin and a lost sheep and a lost son. And before this really famous passage of Scripture, in these two verses, it says this, the tax collectors and sinners were gathering around to hear Jesus, but the Pharisees and teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. This man, Jesus, who claims to be the Son of God, has come, and he's welcoming sinners. He's welcoming tax collectors, and he's eating with them. 
As I began to read those words, I began to to read them and understand why this would have made the religious leaders very uncomfortable. Whoa, 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 I thought Jesus was one of us. I thought he was religious, and I thought he he, he cared about the law, and and yet he's spending his time with sinners. And, And this is true, as I began to think about it more and more, that Jesus, that Jesus attracted sinners. Look at what it said in Luke 15, 1 and 2, that they gathered around him. He, he attracted sinners, but the religious leaders repelled them. That Jesus attracted sinners, but the religious leaders of the day repelled them. And that makes me very uncomfortable. That makes me uncomfortable because it means that Jesus was okay welcoming outsiders and welcoming people that might make me feel uncomfortable and welcoming people that I probably would disagree with with their lifestyle, and that alone makes me very uncomfortable. And so really, out of that thought and that idea, this series was birthed. And in that same week, Pastor Adrian went on to explain that the tax collectors, um, although they were despised, they were in fact Jewish. They were despised Jews because they were meddling with Rome. They were pushing the Roman agenda and found themselves by choice on the wrong side, marginalized. And now, Pastor Adrian, as he continued on in there, he had an example uh, involving some sports teams and demonstrated some very incorrect theology. And so, so I want to, um, I want to, to lovingly um, rebuke him this morning. I, I want to lovingly rebuke him and, um, and let you know that just, just because Pastor Adrian is, in fact, on the wrong side, he is, he is a supporter of that team that wears red socks. And um, I will still continue to love him and uh, eat with him on occasion when he's buying. Okay? Okay. I just uh, enough of that. Okay. So then um, in week three, in week three, last week, as Dr. Brian Charette came, he pointed to the reality that Jesus, Jesus always engaged the one. When we hear about this idea that we're talking about in this series, we think of these large groups, but he pointed out that Jesus always engages the next one in his path. And we looked at the woman at the well, a woman who is known as other, a woman known by her sin and viewed as simply unworthy. She deserves to be on the outside. A Samaritan and a woman. But Jesus focused on the one to show the love of God that reaches out in relentless pursuit of each and every one of his children. And so that brings us to today. And in light of this understanding, especially week two in reference to tax collectors, Jesus is going to focus on the next one in his path. And if you look at this picture here on the screen behind me, I'll give you a hint of where we're going. That's me in 2014 on um, the trip I took to the Holy Land here with some traditional headwear there. Uh, You know, they were trying to get me to buy it, but uh, I'm standing in front of a sycamore fig tree in the streets of Jericho. And so that's where we're going this morning. The two men over my shoulders are Pastor Jim Harrison and our former pastor, Kerry Willis. But that's where we're going this morning, to a fig tree in Jericho. A man, you may know him as a wee little man, named Zacchaeus. And so we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. Luke chapter 19, you can... Go there on your app. It'll be on the screen behind me. You can follow along in your copy of God's Word. And this morning, I'm going to ask, can we stand as we read the Word? Can we stand with me as we read the Word this morning? 
And it says this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a sycamore fig tree to see him since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. So he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. All the people saw this and began to mutter, He has gone to be the guest of a sinner. But Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. This is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me this morning? Heavenly Father, uh, we thank you uh, for this opportunity. We thank you for your word, God, and for your truth. Um, that you want to speak to us today, God. I pray for each and every one of us that you would soften our hearts, that you would give us ears to hear what your Spirit says this morning and hearts to obey, God. We love you. Thank you for first loving us so much. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you. You can be seated. And so I want to take a moment this morning to take a more thorough look at this story that to many of you may seem very familiar and to some of you may be brand new. And I want you to recognize from the start that the way that the gospel writer writes this, that there's three places to stand in this story. Three places in this story in which we're invited to evaluate our own hearts in light of our lives today. And these places are the place of Zacchaeus, in the place of the people, and in the place of Jesus. Those are the three places we could find ourselves in this story today. So let's unpack this a little further. The heart of Zacchaeus. The heart of Zacchaeus. Verses 1 through 4 say this, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he could not see over the crowd. So he ran ahead, climbed a fig tree, since Jesus was coming that way. Now remember, we began this morning that Jesus is headed to Jerusalem. Jesus is on his way to the cross. He's headed to Jerusalem, and this is his last major stop before he gets there. So we're about to hear a story, as the gospel writer introduces us here, we're about to hear a story that's set up with the description of a man being a chief tax collector and wealthy. Now, if you remember, Jews despised tax collectors. They saw them as traitors. They had sold out. They had bought out to the Roman government. And so they were considered less than outsider, other, uh, if if by any means the other Jews would have um, excluded them from their Jewishness. They were considered outsiders because, as Pastor Adrian said, they had fallen on the wrong side. They worked for Rome. And the note here that this tax collector is a chief tax collector. This means that not only he's a tax collector, but he is over tax collectors. So he would have been seen as more dishonest, more disloyal. There's also a note here that he is wealthy. 
And that's no accident either, because if you have your copy of God's Word earlier in that same gospel story, it's literally like a few paragraphs before before Jesus has this conversation with his disciples that we're going to Jerusalem, he has this encounter with this rich young ruler. Jesus encounters this rich young ruler, and maybe you've heard the story, but he's obeyed the law. He, he's been a faithful Jew, and, and Jesus, he says, what else is left? And he says, sell your possessions and give to the poor and follow me. And it says that the rich young ruler went away sorrowfully because he had great wealth. And those listening, those listening, um, hear Jesus say this next. He says, I tell you the truth, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than a rich man to inherit the kingdom of God. And those listening said, well, well then who can be saved? And Jesus finishes up that discourse shortly before making his way to Jericho. He says, what is impossible with man is possible with God. And so the story is set up that we're encountering another very, very wealthy Man, we also get the note that Zacchaeus wants to see Jesus. Now, this is no surprise because Jesus, if you, it, earlier in the Gospels, you'll see that Jesus is a renowned miracle-working rabbi, and he's coming to town. He's coming to town. There certainly would have been a big commotion, and Zacchaeus wanted to see who, what, this guy, Jesus, was really all about. And so Zacchaeus climbs the tree, and it's likely that, as you've seen in the picture, that it's likely he's not the only one in the tree. These trees are huge. There likely were other curious people climbing the tree. But Zacchaeus, the one that is noted, is an outsider amongst his people. He isn't culturally different. He's a Jew. But socially, politically, economically, he is other. He is an outsider. And Zacchaeus has to be struggling with some guilt some shame, some rejection, some bitterness. Because he has yet to encounter, he has yet to encounter the holy love of God. But it says he wants to see who Jesus is. He wants to see who Jesus is. The next place we can find ourselves this morning is in the heart of the people. In the heart of the people. In verse 6 it says, and we're going to come back to verse 5, but in verse 6 it says, so he came down at once and welcomed him gladly. That is Zacchaeus. He rushes down and he welcomes Jesus gladly. And all the people saw this and began to mutter, he has gone to be the guest of a sinner. Now this verse echoes, as we saw in the video earlier, it echoes that of Luke 15, 1 and 2, when the Pharisees, when the Pharisees say, look at this man, look at this man, Jesus. He claims to be religious yet he welcomes and eats with tax collectors and sinners. And so we get the same muttering from the people in the crowd. Obviously, they had some religious undertones. They thought that they were more worthy of Zacchaeus. The term sinner would have referred both to his office, which was considered vile in their eyes, and to his character, which is evident in the story, was not very good. The crowd, the crowd here, the crowd is outraged. Another phrase for muttered would be grumbled. They begin to complain that Jesus, Jesus, this renowned miracle-working rabbi would rather be the guest of this little sinner, this little tax collector who's despised and marginalized than someone more respectable, someone more religious. And so the people, which were mostly Jews, we would assume, felt justified they felt justified in considering Zacchaeus an outsider. Now, I want us to think this morning, do we, 
do we feel justified in considering some people outsider or other? Do we ever feel justified in keeping them over there? Outside is where we think they should be. I mean, they've made the choice, so that's where they deserve to be. Maybe verse 7 sounds more familiar like this. I can't believe he would associate with someone like him. Do you think he or she even knows what kind of man he is? Wow, Jesus must have no concern for his reputation. Are you kidding me? If anyone should be shamed for how they believe, it should be Zacchaeus. Shocker, a crooked publican getting his way. He's so unworthy. I can't believe Jesus would be so intimate with such a traitor. I wouldn't give Zacchaeus the time of day. I can't believe Jesus is going to be a guest at his home. I know I sin, but not like him. Doesn't Jesus know he's meddling with the political enemy? How terrible. What a waste of time. I wouldn't entertain a hello from someone like that. Doesn't he know what he believes? You cannot be a Christian and be associated with people like that. So, are there people, are there people in our world, in our lives that we view that way today? Let's take an honest look at our hearts. Are there people that we view that way in our own lives today? Perhaps, perhaps they're like Zacchaeus and they want to see who this Jesus is, this Jesus who we profess. They want to see who he is, that they're interested, they're drawn in, but they've yet to encounter his holy love in our lives because we keep them on the outside, in our hearts and in our minds. And maybe, just maybe, that's why the way of Jesus makes us uncomfortable when he tears down boundaries that we think should still be there. Maybe that's why it makes us feel so uncomfortable. You know, this is working on me. So we go back to verse 5, and something remarkable happens as we get a glimpse of the heart of Jesus. In verse 5, we get a glimpse of the heart of Jesus. It says, when Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, come down immediately. I must stay at your house today. Do you see what's going on here? Do you see what just happened? Zacchaeus has never had an encounter with Jesus. Jesus looks in a tree that is probably full of multiple people, and he locks eyes with this little man, despised, rejected, full of shame, and he calls him by name. He calls him by name. And then the next thing he does is bestow the honor of host upon Zacchaeus. Now, we understand that it's an honor to host someone in our homes, especially someone of great renown. In this culture, it would have been the highest honor to have this man, Jesus, to come into your home. But in this culture, to be a host, to host someone into your home, to provide them a meal, is of esteemed honor. It brings honor to the person being hosted, but also the host. It would have been a great, great honor. And Jesus immediately bestows that upon this little man, Zacchaeus. This encounter with Zacchaeus is just another embodied example. It's another embodied example of Jesus reaching out to someone who is marginalized, despised, someone who we consider other than us. We see Jesus embody this in Luke 5 when he encounters the leper, the man with the skin disease, 
seen as unclean. We see him embodied in Luke 7 with the sinful woman at the Pharisee's house. This woman who is known for her lifestyle, he's eating with a Pharisee. She comes in and bathes Jesus' feet with her tears. We see Jesus embody this reaching out in Luke 15 when he's eating with tax collectors and sinners. We see it in John 4 last week uh, with the Samaritan woman at the well known by her sin, despised, rejected. And we see it in Luke 18, a few verses before we encounter uh, Zacchaeus. It says that as Jesus approached Jericho, there was a blind beggar, a man seen as the less than. We don't know how he became that way. But it says he cried out to Jesus, and those leading the procession, those leading Jesus' procession, silenced him, told him to be quiet. And he cries out even louder, Jesus, Son of God, have mercy on me. Jesus brings him over to himself. He says, what can I do for you, son? And he heals him. This encounter with Zacchaeus is just another example of Jesus reaching out to someone marginalized, despised, other, outsider. And church family, friends, the foundation, the foundation and heart of this series is not some abstract or radical understanding of Jesus. This is what good news looks like. This is the heart of the gospel. It is the same relentless and seemingly reckless love of God that reaches out and saves us even now. This is the gospel. That should get somebody excited. That's some good news. This isn't craziness. This is, this is what we believe. This is our Jesus that saves us even now. Thank you, God. Jesus shows us what this looks like in an embodied reality. And it makes us feel uncomfortable. It makes us feel uncomfortable oftentimes because we like to settle in in our own little world. But this is the gospel that saves us. His loving obedience, the loving obedience of Jesus to the Father is what compelled him with compassion, compelled him with love towards those who were marginalized, despised, unworthy, other than. And Jesus' command was to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our mind, with all of our soul, with all of our strength, and to love our neighbor as ourself. And by neighbor, and by neighbor, Jesus' example was those who we feel most justified in marginalizing and keeping on the outside. That's our neighbor. That's our neighbor. Whether they're considered others socially, culturally, economically, physically, politically, religiously, in their sexuality, morally, racially, Jesus, his command to love, paired with the life of love he lived, demonstrates that loving God rightly, loving God rightly leads us to love our neighbor righteously. When we are loving our God with all our heart, mind, soul, and strength, when we're loving him rightly, it will lead us naturally to love our neighbor righteously. It will lead us to love our neighbor righteously. 
Jesus sees Zacchaeus, and, and if anyone, Jesus sees his heart, he knows it's full of greed, lies, dishonesty, rejection, shame, fear. And we do not see Jesus saying, hey, Zacchaeus, that's okay, buddy. That's okay. Nor do we see him say, I can't believe you betray your own people. You ought to be ashamed of yourself. As Pastor Adrian said, we must not give in to sin, but we cannot give up on love. So what do we see Jesus do? We see Jesus engage him. We see Jesus move towards him with a heart full of holy love. He moves towards him with a heart full of holy love. And what happens next? Verse 8, we get this. Zacchaeus stands up and says to the Lord, Look, Lord, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor, and if I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Now, this is a side note. The law of Moses only required that they pay back 1.2 times the amount, so he's encountered something uh, miraculous. Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house because this man too is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. Zacchaeus, this little man, this chief tax collector, has had a genuine encounter with God's relentless love. He's had a genuine encounter with the holy love of God. And to the people watching, uh, Jesus' love seemed reckless. It seemed absolutely reckless. But we see Zacchaeus' response is one of repentance. It's making things right. His heart has an encounter with the love of God, and now he responds in a way that shows his righteous love for others. Now he too will love others righteously. And then we get verses 9 and 10. Jesus declares salvation has come to the home of Zacchaeus. And by salvation, we refer to the deliverance of sin and the restoration of right relationship with God. Jesus then draws him close and affirms he indeed is a son of God too. He is a son of Abraham. He is a Jew and a Jew who is a beloved son of God. And finally in verse 10, we get the summary line of Jesus' divine initiative towards all of humanity that he came to seek and to save the lost. He's on his way to Jerusalem. He knows where he's headed. And his final statement, his final statement in the home of Zacchaeus here before he goes on into another parable, he says, I have come to seek and to save the lost, the outsider, the sinner, the one that you and I consider other, unworthy, deserving of being on the outside. Jesus says, I've come to seek and to save that person. The worship team could join me on stage as we prepare this morning. Um, to respond to God's word. Will you stand with me this morning? Will you stand just for a few minutes as we prepare to respond this morning? As we began, we said there are three places to find ourselves within this story, three places to evaluate our own hearts today. Three places. So where do you sense that you stand this morning? Where do you sense that you stand? The love of God is reaching out. The hope is that our hearts will be like Jesus, full of God's holy love. But perhaps you find yourself this morning, perhaps you find yourself in the place of Zacchaeus, and you would say, Pastor Billy, I, I've been living a life of sin, and I felt marginalized and despised by God and, or by people. 
But today I realize that Jesus in his relentless love is calling out to me by name to come close, to turn from my sin and turn to him, to find forgiveness, to find new life. That can happen today for you. But perhaps you find yourself in the place of the people who began to murmur how unworthy they are. I wouldn't be caught dead with them people. Perhaps those, if we find ourselves in the heart of the people, perhaps those we consider other, those we consider on the outside, they want to see who this Jesus is. They want to see him. They're interested. They've heard you mention his name, and they've yet to encounter his holy love in our lives because somewhere we keep them on the outside in our hearts and minds. In both of these places, in both of these places, in the place of Zacchaeus and the place of the people, the love of God is primary. Friends, that's good news. The love of God filling our hearts is primary and the exclusion of sinful actions and attitudes and behaviors and these ways we think, that's secondary as the love of God fills our hearts. There's no room left for those things. And so let me reiterate. Let me reiterate. This series is not about behavior modification It's about a heart transformation. It's about being so filled with the love of God that those who are considered other to us become in our own eyes, become in our own eyes the sons and daughters of our Creator God. The love of God. The love of God that saves you, that saves me even now is the same love, is the same love that He wants to reach through us to encounter those people who we consider other, outsider. And he wants to do it with the next person in our path, the next person in our path, no matter how other they might seem. Because loving God rightly leads us to love our neighbor righteously. And so the altars are open. You can come and pray. Come and be filled. Worship. Be filled with the holy love of God. Thanks again for listening today. Email us at info at beaconofhope.org with any questions about our church. We have two gatherings every Sunday morning at 9 a.m. and 10.30 a.m. and a third gathering at 11.45 in Spanish. We are at 1871 Boyers Road in Rockingham, Virginia, and we would love for you to join us. As soon as you're finished listening today, please subscribe to this channel for updates and new episodes.